Welcome to the season four of the For Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and one of the lay elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. This season, we're going to explore the cultural trends of Gen Z. Why? As the church with a mission to make disciples, we want to discover what we can, how we can best connect with them, understand their unique challenges, and learn from them as we ultimately walk towards Jesus. So who are Gen Z? These are preteens and young adults born between 1997 and 2012 with an age range of 10 to 25 compared to millennials with an age range of 26 to 41. Here are some cultural and historical touch points for reference. Most were born after 9-11. The oldest member of Gen Z was seven when Facebook started and 10 years old when the first iPhone was launched. The youngest member of Gen Z was born when Marvel released its first Avenger movie, which was 10 years ago. On this episode, we are going to explore and discuss mental health, how this topic has become popular, and how the increase in public public conversations is shaping this generation today. We have uh, four guests to share their thoughts and opinions. Please give us your first name and age. I'm Josh, and I'm 19. Uh, my name is Miles, and I'm 20. I'm Josiah, and I'm 18. I'm Jacob, and I'm 22. All right. So thank you, guys. Nice to meet you. I'm glad to, that you can be here. Um, in the spring, in preparation for this podcast, I thought, well, it would make sense to survey your generation instead of me from afar and being old in an older generation to try to understand or try to predict what's important to you guys. So we did a survey with all the high schoolers here at Redemption Church Gateway. We asked them multiple questions about culture. And in that survey, not surprising, mental health was found in multiple categories, which made sense to dedicate its own uh, episode. So Let's start off. So as we seek to understand your generation, why do you think mental health was common uh, in the survey. I mean, I mean, first of all, it is it is so incredibly prevalent. Um, I I really don't talk to uh, many people of my generation without uh, learning something about them that touches on mental health. Um, either uh, they themselves have experienced um, something like depression or anxiety, the two most prevalent um, sort of mental health um, uh, conditions, um, or they know somebody who've you know who've dealt with them before yeah what else um i think personally i think mental health is one of the the biggest disconnects between our generation and our parents generation um because it is something that is super prevalent within our generation when we talk about something we all of us kind of experience whether or not we we really put a title on it or not um where i think our parents generation was just is just doesn't think like that, maybe didn't experience it. And so they kind of look at it like, oh, they just want attention or they just like, you know what I'm saying? Which, which it it creates a a weird tension, um, and kind of a disconnect. And so, which I think is just, is, is, adds to the tension on each side. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I think a key word in that is health, you know, like you think physical health and it's like, you know, everybody's experienced a headache or heartburn or something, and it's it's something that can deteriorate, even if it's just a little bit. And so, you know, like you're saying, everybody, I feel like, has experienced mental health, whether or not they'd call it that or they'd label it to a specific, you know, issue. You know, and mental health doesn't have to be a disorder. It can just be a mental illness. Yeah, I think nowadays we're more comfortable labeling it, whereas... Before and with prior generations, people 
would just say like, oh, I'm just having a bad day or, you know, I'm just sad. Or they used to even call it like melancholy. I know that's a few generations behind, but still. Yeah, I don't think I use, well, maybe, maybe use melancholy. <laughs> I felt more like a baby boomer. But yeah, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, in past generations, uh, baby boomers, uh, Gen X, which is uh, my generation, uh, I mean, we didn't really talk about mental health. And for the most part, we were pretty silent. So what has changed? What has changed in society or in culture that makes it really prevalent, prevalent or just comfortable for your generation to talk about it? Um, I think, well, first of all, I think it was kind of inevitable that these things come to a head, you know, um, uh, people who, you know, like Gen X's parents, the baby boomers, they were raised um, in an era immediately following two world wars and that, and that immediately launched into Korea. And then that immediately launched into Vietnam, which lasted for forever. And then not too long after that was, you know, like the war in um, and multiple wars in the Middle East. Um, and so you just have this sense of national trauma. Um, and, you know, to to be a country uh, of people who are struggling with this idea of the world is not safe, um, and then they're raising children with this kind of anxiety. But they're not, you know, like the cultural value is we don't, you know, like this anxiety is not good though. So let's try to kind of get out of them by just sort of not talking about it. Um, this filters down. I think all of a sudden, you know, Gen Z comes along and it's like, all right, you know, we, you know, like kind of like when, when you're introducing, you know, Gen Z, most of us were born um, either right before or in the wake of 9-11, this extreme, you know, on you know, the, the, you know, the biggest foreign attack of the United States since, you know, Pearl Harbor, we're coming to a head. We're like, okay, no, no, we, we need to start talking about what's going on. You know, we've been feeling this national and individual sense of trauma. We should probably start digging into it, rooting it out. Yeah. I think, I think the world is just so different too. You know, like, um, the, our food, the, the GMOs in our food, like the genetic makeup of our food is a lot. It's not as, good as it used to be you know which affects your gut and your body and your body and your brain are connected and they they inter they affect each other um i think th our access to information and knowledge through our phones and social media and the internet solomon says with great knowledge comes great sorrow and that's kind of like a that's kind of like a universal like thing like the more you know the heavier you sit the more you feel the the weight of what you know and you look at like like 13 year old kids and they're, they look like they're, they're dressing like they're 30 years old and they're acting like they're 30 years old. They're using the, like they, they have seen stuff that most people prior before this day and age didn't know, had never seen that stuff. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They're hearing words that, that most people shouldn't hear at 13 years old, seeing things they should not hear at 13 years old, you know? And there's so much more emphasis on our image nowadays. Like before, you know, like if you look back at history in George Washington's time, everyone was great writers with beautiful handwriting because that is the that's the main way of communication. So there's a lot of weight on that. And then and then that developed and then radio came out and then people are great speakers. Right. Like they have this beautiful way of talking and then it moved on to television came out and then people there's more weight on image. Right. And then and then as those things develop, writing goes down, then speaking goes down. And now it's just like people are really good textures, you know, or people just have really are very opinionated. And there's a lot of judgment on. 
there's so much judgment on our the way we look, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act, like how we present ourselves. So there's it's just kind of a change of the times where there's so much weight and judgment on the way we live, and also just so much exposure to things that we should not be exposed to at yeah. certain ages. So Jacob, you mentioned uh, coming out of uh, at, you know an event like 9/11, Miles. You talk about kind of the shift with access to information and and other cultural kind of factors. What else? What else? You know? Yeah, I was going to talk about, you know, looking back, you mentioned George Washington times, and I, I thought of C.S. Lewis, and I watched The Most Reluctant Convert, and it talked about how, you know, he would spend eight-plus hours a day reading and writing and going on walks in nature. And I think a big thing is our attention spans as a culture is it's so ridiculously small right now. And it, it doesn't seem entirely related, but I know from personal experience – I feel the best when I take 10 minutes, turn off my phone, and sit in silence with my own thoughts. Absolutely. It, it calms anxiety. It calms depression. It, And so I think that's, I don't entirely know why, you know, but I know practically that it does. Yeah. Uh, I think it's not maybe 100%, you know, factual, but nowadays with access of information, so like technology, we can search stuff up. You now have more awareness of all these mental issues and stuff like that. And um, so I think going back to the King Solomon thing where it's with great knowledge, there's great sorrow is what you said. Yeah. Um, With, you know, all this access of information where kids are like, oh, you know, I feel sad. So I'm going to look it up. And I'm not saying kids are faking it. I'm just saying that, like, they're more you can diagnose it a little easier nowadays. Yeah. But there, there's a shift in transparency. Yeah. Because when I was in high school and I had a bad day, Jeffrey, how are you doing? I'm like, um, I'm not having a great day. That was it. Because I didn't feel comfortable saying it and they probably didn't want to hear it because it was uncomfortable. You guys are not uncomfortable. You guys have a whole nother level of transparency, good or bad. Why? Why, why are you more transparent? Uh uh, uh, ben Aggers has a really uh, fantastic book called Oversharing, um, which uh, was <laughs> <laughs> was written in 2012. Um, uh, but it was, I mean, he uh, he anticipated so much. Um, basically, he has this really interesting hypothesis that the internet encourages um, a style of communication that is actually really common amongst people with certain mental disorders, one being borderline personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. Um, a huge uh, pattern for people with um, uh, NPD or BPD is that they, um, uh, in order to uh, get instant connection, they do this thing called um, like love bombing. Um, which is, or kind of this like oversharing of information of when you first meet a person, I'm going to tell you every single thing about me mm. and I'm going to, you know, kind of really, really just kind of divulge my heart. Um, and then, but what that allows you to do also is that because you're controlling the level of information, as soon as that is no longer beneficial to you, you can cut it off. Now, before that kind of style seems, you know, uh, um, really unhealthy and unsupportive and would have been labeled, okay, that is like a disordered version of communication. This is how the internet actually encourages people to communicate. Talk a lot up front about who you are, overshare all the details of your life, but then when you don't want it anymore, when it's no longer advantageous, 
ghost, mm. you know, basically mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to talk to this person anymore. I'm going to turn off the notifications. I'm going to delete this app or whatever. And that seeps into how you view people is, okay, I'm going to try to get all this love and affection, but then when it's not advantageous anymore, mm. I'm going to kind of cut you off. Which I think is like feeding off of that. I think that's interesting because I think that breeds this sense of like, I don't know when it's real. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know when a person's being real or not, Absolutely. you know, and even like Instagram, I think is a perfect example. Like if you, you see a girl post on Instagram and all her friends are, yes, queen, slay queens. Yeah. Like, I wish I could be like you. And it's just, it's a standard mm. to, to do that. Like if you don't do that, they'll be like, are you mad at me kind of thing? Or like, like if you don't hype up your friends, you know what I'm saying? Even if you don't think that they look good in it, right. you have to do it. Yeah, and it's just like there's there's so many unspoken norms that are are like and 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 it's breeded a lot of of fakeness. So people are very fake in our generation because it's like I'm just being fake nice to you, like and even just because because I kind of have to subscribe to this image that I've crafted for myself, and I have to play that role even though it's not actually me. Where like for somebody like you could just be like, yeah, I wasn't feeling it today, but then like. If you're not feeling it today, you have a thousand people that are watching you and they're right. like, oh, like in, in it's in, I, my sister's in high school right now. And I, the, the shift even from when I was in high school to when she's in high school is crazy. But their thing now is like, oh, they're not relevant anymore. So it's not popular. It's relevant. Are yeah. they relevant? Yeah, so you have to stay relevant. Interesting. Right. right. Like trending because yeah. of social media. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, so-and-so said that. Why? Why are they saying that? They're not even relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my. If somebody said that about me when I was in high school, like, of that course they're fake. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because yeah. they have to. They have to play this role. So then this oversharing and kind of this, like, because we crave, I think we crave realness. Like, we want to be real. So for me, I am like class A overshare. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to tell people, like, especially with mental health, like, I will, I'm going to be straight up black and white about everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I'll tell you the details. Because, like, it's just, it doesn't exist. You know what so, I'm saying? So some of this transparency has been the platform. Some of it is just uh, this, you know, kind of desire to be kind of fake or to overshare. Like, what else? What else is driving this transparency with your generation? I guess the only thing I have to really add to that is it's like everybody expects for other people to be genuine. They desire realness of other people, but then they put out fakeness. And I feel like it gets back to that issue of people don't really know who they are, mm. right? You you put up a front once, you exaggerate a story, and then all of a sudden, like, in your brain, that becomes the real story. Yeah. And, and so you don't know who you actually are. And people don't spend the time to think about who they are. Absolutely. So do you think some of the mental health is uh, trying to navigate the difference between who you are in real life or in your heart versus what you are on social media or on platforms? Yeah. So it's that trying to navigate that delta or that, that difference. But wh- why is that difficult? Well, or, or why is that cause anxiety? Well, fundamentally, like when you're, uh, when you're online, you're creating a new identity before the invention of social media, people were one person, you know, obviously they have different functions and different spheres of their life. You know, when you're at home, you're a, you know, like you're a sibling or you're a father. And when you're at work, you're a coworker, you're a boss or whatever. But then all of a sudden you have this really weird phenomenon where, you know, you have this whole 
quote unquote world of social media and you have to pick a name for yourself, you know, like, like th th there's this weird dilemma amongst young people of like, do I use my real name on social media or like, do I come up with a funny name or whatever? You are literally inventing a new identity for yourself. And so, you know, and all of a sudden you're not one person. You're having to curate the content of eight different identities. Your your Instagram, your Finsta, your like TikTok account, which, you know, is either serious or like I'm just doing this ironically or like whatever <laughs> it is, is you're having to do so much maintenance of not just yourself, but these other identities. But why does that create anxiety? Well, I think you can't ever be your oil you can't you can't be two people at the same time. Yeah. You're always one person. And you are you af afraid of being authentic? Act truly authentic. Well, I not think your curated authentic authenticity. Right. I think that regardless of auth of authenticity, like for my social media, I try to be authentic, you know what I'm saying? But um there's still like that it, you can never be fully authentic. Like I can never, cause, cause there's not true authenticity. You can't really get a gauge on a person and really understand that person unless you're in the room with that person, even on the phone. Yeah. You can't, right? Cause there's so, people are so complex and so dynamic. So over social media, you're getting such, you're just getting this little bit and you can't ever be two people at once. So you're, you're, there's this constant kind of like uh, ebb and flow, like fluctuation between this person that, that. I, I want to be, like, I want to be this person that I'm crafting, you know what I'm saying? I'm putting out the best version of myself, so I see this, like, my hero version of myself that, like, I want to be this person. Yeah. And then I see the real version of myself that I am not this person. But And so that, I think this creates this, like, split or this uh, a borderline personality because we, we, we have two versions of ourselves. We have our best version that we're putting out and that is on such a public platform for everybody in the world to see. And then there's our real self. That's not that, that we're ever aware of now. Yeah. Josh, your side, do you guys feel that tension? Like the, your real self and your curated online self and, and how that produces anxiety or, or maybe you guys don't struggle with that. I mean, Oh, go ahead. I, I as I'm thinking about it, I see, the lines start to blur a lot. I try not to put anything really on social media. I post like once every couple of months if some big event happens, you know, and, and it's, it's a struggle. I think of, of knowing what's real, you know, like I said, those lines start blurring and sometimes people don't even realize what they're feeling physically in their bodies. And for me, that causes anxiety. You get so caught up in your head, you get caught up in like the, the hormones rushing in your body, you know, just chemical feelings. And I don't know, like you can't, like you're saying, you can't see that in a room. You can't feel that. And like, even I look at you guys like Instagram photos and then I see you in person and I'm like, I would way rather interact with the in-person version. Mm. Like you can hear tone, you can see expression and even just the ability to see in three dimensions is completely different than a picture. Yeah. Josh. Um, so I used to definitely be like a different person online, not even like, you know, completely different than who I am, but more so just like kind of like how Miles said, putting out the best version of yourself, whether it's for popularity, whether it's for attention, for some people do it for drama. But um, uh, nowadays I find myself more so posting just to remember to take pictures. But um, because I, I do feel like, if I'm posting for other people's attention, then 
I'm often going to be disappointed, you know, and especially with the fake version of myself, kind of seeing the contrast between who I want to be and who I am is definitely going to hit me in the gut. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it seems like social media is a a popular platform to share your struggles with mental health. But do you think most people are also sharing those in real life with their family and their friends? Or do you think primarily they're using social media just to kind of voice their pain and, and struggle? Yeah. So my mom sometimes will come to me and like, I'll show her a picture of something and she'll be like, what, where did you, what? And I'm like, I posted that on my Instagram and she doesn't really check Instagram. And so there are a lot of parts of my life that people don't see my family doesn't see because I posted on Instagram and I think, Oh, everybody saw it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think part of the problem of social media and, um, and also going back to this tension between this disconnect between our generation, and our parents' generation is a lot of kids don't feel safe talking about it at home. I know yeah. that I know a lot of people that feel that way. Um, just cause like our parents just literally don't understand what it's like to, to live in a social media driven world, right? Like my mom scrolls on Facebook, like, and she can get sucked in it, but it's not like she doesn't have, she's not as established, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and it's not as like, there's not the social norm or whatever. So I think there, it, and, and I think there is a lot of, unfortunately there is a lot of like attention that comes from it because of that. Like they, and a lot of kids maybe like a lot of kids can, can, use their social media platform as an outlet to cope with the things that they're lacking at home. So like if there's emotional neglect at home or they don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, they're going to project that at the same, uh, with the same intensity that they feel the lack of on social media. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. I mean, we're all seeking love and connection. Right. And if we're not getting it at home, we're not getting it from our friends, where do we go? Right. Yeah. I I think that's one of the biggest things that I am you know, like when I'm talking to people, I'm, I'm trying to try to steer away from this language of like attention seeking behaviors of like, oh, this person's just doing it for attention. Because what is that? You know, they're wanting to be seen. Mm-hmm. Like, see me is a desperately, ex- like a, a desperately expressed, know me, mm. love me, mm. care for me. And so it's, it, it, it's one of those things of just like, yeah, to, to blanket somebody with a statement of they're doing something for attention um, is missing the whole point that is looking at the surface and being like, Oh, that's, you know, like that's stupid or whatever underneath it. What they're saying is I want to be cared for. I want to be loved. I want to be seen. And what's terrible <laughs> in our, our culture. And this goes back to the garden, right? Is we have this issue of, we have something that we want and we have, and, and we are so blind to where it actually comes from, you know, like in the garden, we look at the apple and we're like, Oh, Oh, this is what I want. You know, like, oh, I, I, I want to be, you know, uh, happy. I want to, you know, like have the knowledge of good and evil or whatever. And you don't know that like true fulfillment, true love not does not come from eating the apple. It comes from God. Our culture has the same thing. You know, we want chocolate without trans fats. We want extra, you know, we, we, we want weight loss without exercise. <laughs> this um, is true. We want, we want, you know, sex without emotional connection. We, we want the, th- the feeling that it gives us without the actual thing. And so, you know, that's like in this conversation, there's like this theme of realness and fakeness. What's so sad is we want realness so much. We want authenticity, but sadly, the only way to feel it 
is to fake it. Yeah. So there, it's uh, social media can be an obvious target from older generations to think, well, this is what's driving the mental health issues of your generation. Is that fair? Or are there other factors that we we don't understand as older generations that are driving the mental health struggles for uh, your generation? Um, so I think there are a lot of, so currently right now I'm working with a clinic out of LA, um, based on my own mental health struggles. I'm working, he's a neurobiologist, psychiatrist named Dr. Amen. Um, he's revolutionizing the modern psychiatry and instead of blanketing it, um, with pharmaceutical drugs, you know, and antidepressants, things like that, which I don't think are necessarily bad, but I think there are different ways to target it. He scans your brain and looks at brain activity, and he, you do some brain tests and things like that. He looks at how you interact with the world, your perception, and how that is impacting your mental health. So he scanned, uh, he scanned my brain. I did two brain scans, one elevated, like my brain is activated, one when it's calm. And then he looks at it and looks at like, okay, this area of your brain is super overactive. This area is super overactive. So my brain was like way overactive, way more active than a healthy brain should be, which they were like, yeah, this spot right here is contributing to your anxiety. This spot right here, it makes you think this way and things like that. It was fascinating. And he told me like the way I was thinking and interacting with the world without me even saying anything. Right. Mm. And so then his big thing is brain and body balance. So he looks at, he's like, do you have gut issues? I was like, yeah, like I, like my body, I have, I have weird, like, I can't figure stuff out. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, well, your brain and your body are, are together. Like they work together. So if your if your body is out of balance, if your body, if you have gut health, that, uh, that it creates inflammation that your brain is trying to process and is trying to send things in to figure that out, which creates the same level of inflammation in that part of your brain. Yeah. Right. So w- the reason I mentioned food earlier is how unhealthy our food is now. Like corn literally and wheat do not have the same, genetic makeup that they did 10 years ago right and so like our like in fast food and all these things like our food is so unhealthy we don't have real food anymore really like we don't we'll go and order a a hamburger from in and out we have no idea where anything any of the ingredients came for we just came from we buy it we eat it the grocery store we buy it we eat it we don't know anything right and that that affects mental health because even in the older generation, mental health is becoming kind of like they're noticing it too. Like people are getting more stressed, more anxious, more. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't I don't have as much energy. So your brain and your body are interconnected, and so our food, um, are like even our phones, like our the stimulation that we experience from scrolling, and it's it's constantly stimulating your brain. It's releasing dopamine, like the dope because the colors are so vibrant. It's like a casino. That's why a casino is so addictive because it's so like it's 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 so much pleasure, and we're so pleasure minded nowadays, and we chase this pleasure with no break. Like we don't rest. Our rest is like oh let me let me numb out and scroll through Instagram, that is still stimulating your brain. So we're constant stimulation that now is desensitizing your brain to this stimulation to where nothing is pleasurable anymore. It's in and we're craving like higher levels of pleasure that then we're so anxious because we're like, what is wrong with me? Like, I feel so like out of control or I feel like so anxious all the time or things like that. Cause our brain, like we're just, everything is, is not regulated and like, it's, it's crazy. Our attention spans going down. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you make a good point. Cause uh, I mean, older generations are also on social media, but we also older generations consume a lot of news 
we take in a lot of information. We have everything that we need on our phone. So you're, I mean, the devices. So um, yeah, what, what else is kind of driving, you think, mental health issues of your generation besides social media and food? Good point, Miles, though. That's interesting. Well, so, I mean, to Miles's point, um, a, a huge disconnect between the generation previous and generations previous and now is um, this assumption that mental health is fundamentally a psychological struggle, um, which is why you get advice like pick yourself up by your bootstraps, just, you know, kind of pull, you know, pull yourself together. You know, like you're interacting with somebody in a depressive episode, you know, like just kind of pull it together or whatever. Um, and why is this fundamentally unhelpful is because there's a biological and genetic component to what you're facing. You know, he, you know, I, you know, mentioning things like serotonin or norepinephrine or dopamine, like these are neurotransmitters that are like being activated in our brain for certain things. Like th there is a biological com like component to things like depression and anxiety. And so I, I think that's what's tough when people try to locate um, the rise in, um, in mental health struggles to external sources only. And they pay attention to things like social media or politics or, you know, or, or like, like popular TV shows or whatever. External stimulus obviously has a component into how we experience the world, mm -hmm. but also like, you know, pe people are genetically predisposed to certain things. People, you know, uh, like their, their stress uh, hormones, like their stress responses are like, you know, like being uh, you know brought into this. It's, it's one of those things where fundamentally you can't look at something like mental health and say, this is a psychological issue. You just need to kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps and go on with it because it has so much to do with like, yeah, your body as well. Yeah. Josh, Josiah, anything else outside of uh, kind of those things that I mentioned that affecting mental health for well, your generation? I, I'm thinking about, you know, there's the genetic side of mental health. I think, you know, it, you can be born with anxiety and depression genetically. Um, but it, it, I mentioned, like, I think my first comment was how it's a health. You know, it's something that can degenerate if you don't take care of it. If yeah. you're constantly putting dopamine into your brain and serotonin and all of this, it's like it, it becomes numb. And so you do something that's actually pleasurable and you don't mm. care. Mm. Oh, interesting. Mm. And then the, the, the comment you made about picking yourself up by your bootstraps, it's like, that's hard because for me, sometimes I'll be going through a season of life where I'm just kind of depressed and it's like everything in my life is fine. Everything is good. There's no problems. I just like yep. it. I just yeah. it's bland, you yeah. know, Josh, I think the kind of tying it all back to the, um, even with, well, I guess not just social media, but people, the image, everybody's image, we do want pleasure because we also want to show other people, you know, like how great our lives are. We see other people having great lives. We're like, I want that. You know, I want to be in Malibu partying it up every single night. And that does contribute to almost like a, like a tolerance, you know, you get tolerant to the fun and nothing's fun anymore. And then you're like, you find yourself, you know, I've done it plenty of times. I'll wear myself out by going and having too much fun. And I'll just be in a position with friends where it normally I'd just be having the time of my life, but then I'm just sitting there like, why am I feeling so sad? Or I don't feel as good as I should be feeling right now. What's wrong with me? Mm. So uh, one of the things I've seen over the years are people taking breaks from social media. Um, is that 
do you see that as a, a mental health ploy or do you see that as a, an opportunity to be more productive? So I have, have you taken fasts or extended periods of time where you're off social media? And if you have, why did you do it? What was the motivation? So when I was at like my peak of depression and just mental health was coming like a car crash, I got to a point where I was sitting in my room just so messed up and I threw my phone at the wall just because I was so, and I was tired of it and it was broken. And so I went a week, I think, without any phone. And people were freaking out. They were texting, you know, and my close friends started like calling my mom and dad and were like, hey, is he okay? And they're like, yeah, he's fine. And after that week, I was like, my anxiety was a tenth of what it used to be. My depression was a tenth. My relationship with my family was restored in a way that I didn't think was possible just from not having a phone. And so I, I love Apple added um, different do not disturb customization stuff. Yeah. I love that. I use like 95% of the time my phone is on the personal setting and I have like two or three people that it'll notify me for. Everything else is silent. I love it. It, it just, I don't, I forget my phone a lot now because I don't even care about it, you know? Interesting. Who else has taken social media breaks and what were the motivations? Uh, well, I took a class um, uh, in college where uh, a part of the syllabus was to take a two-week social media fast and to journal every day about it. Um, uh, and uh, it, it was such an interesting uh, experience because, yeah, I, I, I very, very similarly, um, you know, you go off it and all of a sudden things that once felt so immediately important all of a sudden fade into the background and you realize that there are things that are far more like imminently valuable in your life than, you know, this little red dot hovering above, you know, an app that has a, you know, a one or a two or however many notifications you have. Like there are so many things that are far more important than that. Um, and it, it's, it, 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 it was a really, really difficult realization to come to because, um, you know, part of you goes, okay, I, realize how much of an impact this has on me. Um, but also everyone else around me engages with each other in this way. Am I going to have to say goodbye to certain quote unquote relationships because I'm not going to engage with them in a certain way? Mm. Who else, who else has taken a social media fast and what was the motivation? So I, always end up telling myself I'm going to delete it and, <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll get rid yeah. of it for like a day or two. And then I'm like, Oh, but you know, I'll, I'll find myself sitting there bored needing something to do. And I think that gives back into the whole constant pleasure thing. Um, and so I'll just cave in and redownload it. But it, I'm just, I'm not that strong willed in that sense, but yeah. what what's your app of choice? Uh, Instagram, Instagram. Like, I deleted right. TikTok and thought that that was a very great feat. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm done with TikTok. That's, I'm amazing. But uh, then they added Reels to yeah. Instagram. So it's literally <laughs> the same thing. I'm just, yeah, yeah. Who else? Um, so I've never like deleted the apps. Um, because I'm, I'm personally, I'm not a huge social media guy. Um, I, I used to be, and then, like. I, my family would like give me crap about it. And then I felt bad about 
using this like my social media that much. So then, and then also my brother was he like was not a big social media guy. And when I was a kid, like when I was in like high school, I was like, oh, like it's cool to not be into social media. So I just kind of like made myself not into social media, and then now like it's kind of just stuck. And so. Honestly, like I and I, I kind of hate it because it's kind of overwhelming at this point because I'm kind of out of the loop since I, I didn't use it for a while. So now I'm like it, it, it would take too much time for me to like figure it out again, but be with my music like and having to post and having to like I have to have a presence on social media. So I kind of literally have to like put reminders in my phone to like post a video or something like that, which is so I hate it. And I and I truly just hate social media now. So um, and I also. Apple put a, a a option in your phone in the settings where you can customize the faces of your apps, like what they l- look like. Mm-hmm. So all of my app faces are beige, the most boring color. <laughs> so literally, like if I open my phone, there's no colors. It's all beige. It's all mm. the same color, beige. Yeah. Because like a casino, your your phone is so bright and vibrant. The the little red dots and all that. And and my thing was I the red I could I hated red dots. I couldn't have a red dot on my phone. Yep. So if there's a red dot, I had to open it and I had to figure it out. I had to get rid of it. Yes. So now like my 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 email has like I have like twelve thousand unread emails. <laughs> like, my Instagram <laughs> at so all times has like seven <laughs> notifications. My text message, you know, but I I don't see them because it's all beige. And and I my screen time went down from like five six hours a day it's like an hour and a half a day purely by doing that because the colors are what is addicting about your phone oh but miles all the so all the graphic designers out there right now are grabbing a (laughs) tissue and just (laughs) sobbing just oh i designed that with a beautiful color palette no yes don't need it don't need it similar like i went into my settings and i made it so i my phone's in black and white just everything is black and white yeah and i i love that Nice. So over the years, uh, this is it's fairly new, but I think probably maybe over over five or seven years. Or so I've heard um, uh, peers or colleagues or coworkers taking a mental health day. When I was younger, that was not a thing. Like you are the either were sick, or you're at work, and or you're on vacation. Those those were kind of like the three categories. And then I started hearing. Oh, well, why is so-and-so out of, oh, they're taking a mental health day. I'm like, mental health day? I don't know what that is. So what's a mental health day? What do you guys do on a mental health day? Is it a thing for you still, you know, why is it important for your generation to take a mental health day? Well, so I think it's kind of like a reset. Um, So for me, I have a practice that I try to do. I'm not good at it. I'm trying to learn how to do it. I'm trying to like make it a regiment where I take a mental health day every week, like one day a week. And I don't call it a mental health day, but it's so I look at it like, um, but but don't we call that Sabbath? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that, I think it's interesting that that's in the Bible, right? Because it's a reset. And so for me, like an example that I think the older generation kind of knows and relates to is like how porn affects sex, right? Porn makes sex less like, cause you're kind of it, it desensitizes it. Yeah, and depersonalizes it. Depersonalizes it. it. Yeah. Just like your phone depersonalizes life. Cause oh, everything is, everything yeah. is, un, everything is unimpressive nowadays. You go and sit to see live music. They're like, Oh, that's not like the radio sounds so much better. Cause everything is, auto-tuned perfected there's we have a perfection complex that life is not it's not perfect so and it's messy it's we're unimpressed so 
what I try to do, what I'm trying to t- train myself to do is to take a day where I, I turn my phone off. I, I don't play video games. I try to remove anything pleasurable for a day. I'm bored for a day because it, it allows my brain to calm down, to reset. Because it's weird. Like I'm like frantic having nothing to do. I'm like, <laughs> well, what am I? I'm losing my mind. Yeah. But I try to, but then a couple hours in, like I'm like, oh, okay. And then I can kind of sit. And then I literally sit on my chair and I just kind of, I'm listening to music and I just stare at the wall. And I'm like, this is so beautiful, like so nice. Like I'm like, oh, I'm like breathing. You know what I'm saying? And because yeah. it, it it resets everything, and it your brain calms down, and then and then it it it's like a reset, so that everything then it, things are more pleasurable. Because if I eat like if I eat at the finest restaurant every night, I'm I'm eating a sixty dollar like filet mignon every night. A weekend, I'm like, I, I can't eat another shit. Like, what? This is, I'm not, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if I, if I give in to pleasure, give in to everything that I want all the time, it'll be, you know what I'm saying? It's not yeah. unimpressive anymore. Josiah, have you taken a uh, mental health day? Yeah. Well, I, same as uh, Miles. I didn't call it a mental health day. And I think when it comes to workplace taking a mental health day, I don't know how I feel about that. But, um, what? You, you don't, you don't, you don't think it's good? Or I you mean, think it's a cop out. I think there are certain jobs where you're working 50, 60 hours a week, but a typical work day or work week is 40 hours. And I think that there is time, but you have to make the time. You know, you don't just end up with a Sabbath day. You tell your friends no for that Sabbath day. Oh, that's interesting. Right. That's that's how I am just because I was raised very like hard, you know, <laughs> in, in with, with a work ethic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like, I think it was. Like, I don't know, 10 days ago, I took a Sabbath day like exactly like that. And I caught myself. I was sitting on my staircase just staring at the wall for like like 20 minutes. And then I realized there are people around me that are probably thinking that I'm really like being weird right now. But yeah, it was hard. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. I'm, Josh. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Blaise Pascal. He was a, a French uh, mathematician and philosopher from the 1600s. And uh, just listen to how prescient this is. He says, all of humanity's problems stem uh, from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Mm. <laughs> uh, he's saying yeah. this in the 1600s. Um, and he's realizing our penchant for distraction. Um, you know, like one, one, one of my favorite passages um, in scripture is, you know, uh, Mary... Um, is sitting at the foot of Jesus, listening to him teach, and Martha's in the kitchen running around trying to serve everybody. Um, and, you know, Mary is, uh, like, you know, um, uh, praised for, you know, sitting and just listening at the foot of Christ. Um, and Martha, even though she's doing good things, you know, like, uh, you know, if you're, if you're thinking moralistically, good things, she's serving people, she's making dinner or whatever, but when you get down to it, her priorities are out of whack. And so when I hear about mental health days, I'm like, yeah, I, I think they're good when you're doing uh, helpful and supportive things on those days. You know, if, yeah, like the Sabbath is no longer, like I, I think that's what has like reinstated this, this idea of the mental health day is because the Sabbath Sunday is no longer a day of rest. It's a day of, okay, I got to go to church and it's a whole presentation because my whole entire family has to dress nicely and we have to go, we have to talk to all these people and we have to do all these things and it's no longer restful. 
Um, and so, you know, we have to like invent like basically a substitute Sabbath where it's like, okay, Sunday is my day to be on and the whole week is my day to be on and Saturday is my day to do chores or whatever. And so you have to just kind of like spontaneously create these times of like, no, I'm not going to do anything. But then sadly, what not doing anything means is, you know, just kind of dissociating on Netflix or whatever for hours. Josh, what do you think? I think it definitely takes a lot of, uh, what's it called? Like self control. Like, yeah. You gotta mm. definitely, like they said, where it's, it's very helpful if it's done right. Whereas I found myself taking mental health days with, you know, quotations, um, air quotes for those who are listening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just because I'm like, ah, oh, I'm not feeling it today. I'm just gonna, you know, or I'll, I'll tell myself, I'll convince myself, like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to be, you know, not do anything. I'm just going to sit there, be with my thoughts and really get myself together so that tomorrow I can come back and be a hundred percent, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, which I think that is a beautiful thing. That is something that we were, you know, kind of going back to the Sabbath. That's God has given that to us as a gift, you know? Um, and so, but if that's done poorly, it's just kind of an excuse day, you know, like, Oh, I didn't want to go to work or I didn't want to go to school. So I'm just going to chill here and play video games or whatever. Yeah. Um, some of you alluded to alluded it a little bit to this, but, um, you know, briefly share any, you know, if you're comfortable, any mental health kind of struggles you've had over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have a pretty long history with uh, mental health, um, you know, kind of starting in sixth grade. I, uh, you know, began to realize that I was not doing well socially. Um, and it was around in junior high uh, when I really began to uh, exhibit signs of, um, you know, major depression and generalized anxiety disorder. Um, it's also when I uh, started practicing non-suicidal self-injury in the form of cutting. Um, and, uh, you know, that kind of all culminated in, in high school with a couple of uh, suicide attempts. Um and, um, you know, even my freshman year in, uh, you know, in college, I, um, you know, had to, I, I, I was in the hospital before in junior year of high school. I was in the uh, hospital for uh, a week um, uh, after a suicide attempt, but uh, I was in the hospital again my freshman year of college um, uh, for another week. And, uh, you know, it, like I, I don't like using the phraseology of like, I'm on the other side of it now. Like I'm better. I'm cured. I'm not. Um, I'm growing. You know, I am uh, trying to do the Mary thing and sitting at the feet of, you know, Christ and trying to not become uh, distracted by the things in my life that bring me down to those places. Uh, Jacob, thanks for sharing. Who else? Um, I struggled more so with mental health, mainly like anxiety and depression and loneliness. Uh, eighth grade is kind of when it started. And then... Um, Sophomore year, you know, I was in and out of romantic relationships and one just ended so poorly mm. and it destroyed my relationship with my family because I was just so angry and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but like I threw my phone against the wall mm. and then I tried, you know, suicide. I attempted suicide and I was put into a hospital for four or five days and it's like you don't have distractions, you know, you're forced to face all of these things. It was and I, and that didn't really end anything. You know, I was still kind of there. It got better. Um, but I feel like my anxiety and depression is almost completely gone because I went to winter camp. I didn't have anybody to talk to. Mm -hmm. I had my small group, but I didn't turn to them. And so I had an acoustic guitar 
And I sat alone in the woods basically for an entire weekend playing acoustic guitar mm. and praying and like looking at nature, being alive for a weekend. And after that, God just like took away my depression. Mm. Mm. Praise God. Thank you for sharing. Mm. Uh, personally for myself, <clears throat> I am diagnosed bipolar. So that kind of manifests itself within swings of um, like maybe a week long, couple weeks long of mania, like a manic. Um, and then a crash into like a depressive episode, which can last weeks, months, you know, it can, we, you can rapid cycle, have days at a time and on each. Um, and so that kind of, that kind of manifested like two years ago. Um, and then kind of what it looks like is, um, a bipolar brain is, is typically 10 times more active than a, than a, a typical brain. Um, so, during that hyperactivity, that's kind of what triggers this mania because um, all parts of your brain are activated at the same time and they're going so fast. And so so um, it's called the eye of your mind opens up. It's just it's actually really cool. Like you I, when I'm manic, I, I have really cool thoughts and can see things it's like you're just your brain. Just it's just so deep and you, and you kind of can see like connections between things and, and whatnot just because your brain is is functioning on a, on a high level. Um, but because of that, you, your brain kind of gets overactivated, gets tired. Like I don't sleep when I'm manic a lot of times, like I'll maybe sleep one or two hours a night. I'll go maybe two days without sleeping. Um, which kind of, you know, that has an effect on a person. And then, um, then you, uh, you crash, I crash and, um, I'll be depressed. Um, which is kind of just like body, you know, um, and I think there are three kind of levels of that I've experienced of mental health. One is is kind of what we talked about this social, you know, um, people saying they're depressed and things like that, which is like kind of a lack of purpose, maybe living outside of purpose, and, and and that definitely can have effect. I think there's like this like your brain and body balance, which I've experienced, um, which kind of affects your brain, which kind of can send me when I'm not eating well or taking vitamins. It can send me into a manic state just because my brain's going active. And then there's a spiritual aspect of it that I that I've really experienced. I didn't start exp having mental health, dealing with mental health until I started actively pursuing the Lord. Mm. And a lot of what I've experienced is heavy spiritual warfare, yeah. which comes into you know. And so that's the enemy using things and whispering in your ear and like planting thoughts in your brain, which I think is very, 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 very prevalent. And yes, there is some, you know, bio neurological aspects to mental health and some people are naturally predisposed to things. But I think, I think, um, the enemy uses mental health and uses these tools like our phones <clears throat> and things like that to kind of bring it, intensify it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been my experience with it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, I don't chronically suffer from mental health, but I have found myself in spells where I am, you know, a little bit worse, not uh, significantly worse than melancholy. I, yeah. kind of. <laughs> um, which I mean, I stress the importance of mental health to a lot of people, but I'm almost hypocritical in the sense where I will refuse to acknowledge it in my own life and like seek help for it. So, yeah. So, uh, how do older generations get it wrong or what are the misconceptions that you've heard from older generations about your generation and mental health? And so I, I still occasionally go through, I, I call them depressive seasons, but just, I don't have motivation for things. 
And I've gotten a lot of criticism in those seasons where it's like, oh, you're not helping with this. Oh, you should be doing this. Oh, get out of the house. And it's like, it's difficult to communicate because that's been older generations telling me like, you know, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, but yeah. it's, it's not that easy. Yeah. How else have we got it wrong? Uh, so I've, I've definitely heard a lot um, from people close to me where they get told just that they're lazy, you know, that they're, they have lack of motivation because they don't actively try and seek out work or anything like that. Um, or like, you know, you have, you don't want to go outside because you never go outside. That's something I've heard. And it's, I almost laugh at it cause it's kind of cyclical. It, does it feel hurtful? Um, it's, it kind of ends up feeling like, uh, you know, just out of touch type of thing, you yeah. know? Um, I think a big, uh, you know, thing that the older generation gets wrong is um, uh, bringing in, and I, I think you were just talking about this, like bringing in moralizing language mm. into uh, a mental health space of like, you know, this, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. You know, you tell somebody you should be outside, you should be working. Something that we've talked about is like a huge, like the number one symptom of depression is something called anhedonia, you know, hedonism, the seeking pleasure, anhedonia, the inability to feel pleasure. Mm. And so how are you supposed to go out and do these quote unquote shoulds when you derive zero pleasure from them? And then of course, you know, you, you, you have this idea of just like, well, you shouldn't, you know, like, like, you know, what, you know, like what is pleasure? Just like, just do it. Just work just do it um and this is a fundamental misconception of like what actually helps with depression um or with anxiety or with just mental health in general um it's you know the the four things that people with like depression are kind of uh, that like just sort of like magnify what's going on is the lack of outlets for your frustrations mm. a lack of control in your life mm. a lack of uh, predictability in what's going on um, and a lack of social support. Mm. And so when you tell people to just kind of like do these kind of moral shoulds, these like kind of like thou shalt language of like, you know, you know, just kind of go out or whatever, you're not realizing that like, okay, but you're not giving them an outlet for their frustration. You're not kind of helping that. You're not empowering them to have more control over their life. You're not helping them establish more predictability or like a regiment in their life. Mm. You're not giving them you know what is true social support. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I just think this, you know, um, yeah, just this language of like, you know, you know, you know, you should do this, you should do that, um, drink more water or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then moving on, it's not helpful. Yeah. What else? Yeah. I think, I think that's like right on the nail and, and statements and opinions and, um, things made and spoken out of ignorance right? Like mental health, like the mindset of being depressed is something you can't explain to somebody. Yeah. And it's something you can't understand unless you're depressed, right? Yeah. The mindset of wanting to end your own life, yeah. right? Like we are designed biologically with fight or flight, right? Like with a survival instinct. So the, 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 to arrive at a point that you want to kill, end your own life is such a, is such a, like, it, it, it can't be understood by someone who hasn't experienced it, right? Mm. So I heard last, I think last week, some dude say, like, 
you oh, you want to kill yourself? You're depressed? You want to kill yourself? Go to the gym and get a six-pack, and then you won't want to kill yourself. Jeez. Oh, I was like horrible. My like, gosh. for a person to say something like that, to, like, with, obviously, he has no idea what he's talking yeah, about, yeah. right? Like, and he's very opinionated, and we live in a very opinionated society. What? Really? We do? <laughs> <laughs> so... I think I think it's not just the older generation. I think it's everybody who just doesn't experience mental health. They yeah. they're like, "What are you talking about? You're depressed. Just go work out. Like it, it releases dopamine. You'll feel good." But like they don't understand. Like I I I I lost my cousin a little over a year ago to suicide, and I didn't understand it. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. didn't. She tried to kill herself three times before she killed herself, mm-hmm. and I didn't take it seriously. And and a lot of people didn't take it seriously because the the thing that was said was like, oh, she like she really needs attention. Well, she needs attention. Like there's obviously something there, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then she's gone now and mm. we're left like you, she was serious. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they, like, and so that after that, I was like, this is some serious stuff for a, for a human being. I don't understand. I still don't. I've never been suicidal. I don't understand how like how that happens you know what i'm saying and now yeah. I'm, i don't have my cousin and so th- there's something to it that like for people to to act uh, out of ignorance like we i think we need to change the way we like understanding a person why do they feel the way they feel why do they say what they say even if i don't agree with it their experiences have created this mode of thought why yeah well, conversely, that's perfect segue. So what, as the church and church leaders and elders and pastors, like what can we do to best shepherd and love you guys in regards to mental health? So I, I heard a little bit of not using this language, trying to understand, um, you know, more, maybe more empathy, uh, but like what, what can we do? What can we learn from you guys from this discussion that, that church leaders and pastors, the church can, can do to love and shepherd you guys? So one thing that I heard a while back that is I I really liked was when you're dealing with somebody who has mental health problems and usually it's more on the severe side where they're on the brink of suicide is you take them seriously mm. and you know no matter what you think whether what prior knowledge you have of them whether they have a history of seeking out attention or not you take them seriously and um, not only that I've also heard people say like you break their trust. You tell someone, you know, people have come and been like, "Hey, I'm gonna seriously hurt myself." You don't tell anybody though, you know. Well, you don't tell anybody, and now you've lost a friend. Yeah, you know, um, that's good. So it is better, I think, and that and having an open heart, you know, with these people is kind of open mind, open heart ties together in this where you're loving them regardless, and you're knowing or you're trying to see from their perspective. And even if you can't going back to what Miles said is you are, I guess, taking them uh, serious. So yeah. yeah. What else? What can the church do better? I, I want to talk about how like the church isn't just the staff. Right. You know, yeah. the church is Absolutely. the body of Christ. And uh, the advice that I personally would give is instead of trying to pull somebody out of a depression, yes. stepping into it yeah. with them. Oh, that's right. And I was like, well, in my head, I'm thinking, how can the church do that? There's, you know, thousands of people at our church at Redemption Gateway. Mm -hmm. And so how can you do that? But it's like, if you're a church community, you have a friend, you have somebody, hopefully, you know, if you get connected, you have somebody that can see you and step in. And that's not their job. That's not 
an obligation, but to find somebody that wants to step into that space with well, you. So what does that look like though? Cause someone might hear that stepping in. What, 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 what does that mean? I, I think it can depend person to person for me, like just having somebody to sit next to me mm. and like have a conversation and not even to have a conversation, but to sit in silence as well is it's comforting. You know, you don't feel alone if there's somebody with you. So in listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Listening is a huge thing. Most people are screaming mm. about what they need. It's not, it's not, you know, they're not, they're not saying it out loud, but their practices are shouting, mm -hmm. shrieking. This is what I need. And most people are not listening at all. Um, and I'm not just saying about this about the church. This is human beings in general. Most of us are not listening to anyone. And so, yeah, like understanding that somebody who is like uh, this, like attention language, if they're, if they're wanting your attention, what are they actually wanting? Yeah. They're wanting you to love them. And, 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 and part of that is being curious is stepping with them and just being like, what do you need? And, and I, and I, it, it, a huge thing. Um, and this is just like a little tip is if, if, if you're sitting with somebody um, and you feel that when you're asking them, like, what can I do for you? And, and, and you're feeling that you're just not getting kind of a good response or just like, um, oh, well, you can pray for me. And that's kind of it. Well, number one, I'm, I don't want to like, you know, make light prayer. Um, but if, if, if you're not getting really, really specific responses from them of like, here's what you can do for me, um, get to know them and come to them with ideas. Mm. It's like, okay, I know you. This is what I've seen helps in the past or what I kind of know about you. Um, and when I say, what can I do for you? And then list things. Can I do this? Can I bring you your favorite food? I, I, I'm, I'm going to be stopping by Starbucks. Can I get you, um, a, you know, a drink? Um, you know, you know can, can we meet this week? Learn about them. Listen to them. Be curious about what works for them as a person and then follow up with that. Mm -hmm. Be right next to them. Be right near them. And then, of course, you know, like I said, like, you know, I, I don't want to make light of prayer. Prayer is bringing your, you know, your wants and needs to the most powerful being in the universe. Like our God is the master of all. And so to bring your, you know, like to cast your cares upon him is to not like a prayer is just like, oh, you know, just pray for me. No, no, no. You are doing actually the greatest thing you can do, which is like, oh, you know, I, I can't really, you know, do that much for your depression. I know a guy who can though, <laughs> you know, like the, the, the master of all the universe. And so, you know, yeah, following up with exactly what people are, you know, screaming at you what, of what they need. And then also uh, following up with that and then bringing those exact things to the Lord. Yeah. Miles. Yeah. I think it's important to, to say all of these things um, in doing all these things. I, th I think it's very important for a person to establish healthy boundaries. Right. So I think it's, it's easy to, to enter in, to say somebody who's suicidal and I've experienced this and I, a lot of my friends have experienced this and to bear the burden of their life. Mm. Like if I don't help them, they're going to die and it's my fault. Right. Yeah, which yeah. is, which is a awful feeling. And I think is something that kind of deters people from wanting to enter into these environments because yeah. it is a little overwhelming, right? You, we are entering in to unhealthy mindsets Right. Like you're, you're, so I think it's important to enter in. It's important to enter into that. Like, yes, it's going to be hard 
and it's going to probably be a little heavy for you to enter into su- to an environment but like that person is in that alone mm. you know what i'm saying and we're called to love like love them and so i think what that looks like is not thinking i'm going to fix you because mm. you're not going to fix you you're not going to fix them no. nobody can help a person in that mindset except for themselves right which unfortunately is true you're not going to fix them but you're going to love them and you're going to be there for them and you're going to let them talk. You're going to give them an outlet, right? You're going to try to understand them. So for me, like I have people that, that when I start getting manic, like they see these kind of patterns happening, like, and they're there to kind of like, Hey, like, you know what I'm saying? Cause when I'm in conversations and I'm manic, my, my language, my mode of thought is a lot higher. It's a, it's kind of deeper than most people can, can really absorb. And I start talking really fast and people, I lose people, you know what I'm saying? And so yeah. I'll have my friends or my mom be like, Hey, you're a little too deep right now. And I'll be like, <laughs> okay, like I'll bring it down. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll yeah. try to, and so, so to understand them, to try to understand the patterns, like what, what are kind of some, what are things that trigger you? What are things that give you peace? What are things that you love? What are things that motivate you? What are things that give you purpose? Right. Cause I purpose is, is I think the biggest, um, combatant to depression because I think a lot of times in depression, like I feel, you feel a lack of purpose. Like I, yeah. my life's meaningless. So mm. understand them, know them, be there for them, give them an outlet and, and, and be like a support for them. You know what I'm saying? That's Hopefully. great. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, let's wrap up with a, a couple of fun rapid fire questions. So keep your, your answers really short. Uh, what are the apps on your home home screen? So grab your phone and uh, you don't have to tell me every app, but like what are the main apps that you have on your home screen? Uh, I have I have only one page of apps. Okay, so this is my beige. Oh, wow. Wow, look at that. I have one page of apps. I love that. So I have all the, just the stock ones. Um, I have like my Bible, my mail, camera settings, you know, all that stuff. And then I have one app for like writing, for like writing music and stuff. It's called Mm. Rhymer's Block. And and then I have my voice memos. I have Snapchat, Instagram, and Spotify. All right, Josiah. Um, I've got three pages. My My first one's boring. Um, but no, I no, got, no. What's on your home screen? So, oh, I've got weather, photos, camera, <laughs> notes, settings, and Spotify. Love it. Perfect. Jacob? Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I, I have my, like, photos. I have my Bible. I got my uh, camera. And then I have a little game that I like to play. Nice. <laughs> Josh? Uh, I've got one. I went more for aesthetic, even though it's not that aesthetic. But <laughs> I have uh, my budgeting. So, like, my... Nice. Spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets. Love it. But, uh, then I got a folder for social media. Spotify, front and center. That's a big one for me. There you go. Uh, and then my entertainments like Netflix and stuff like that. And then the Play Store. Nice. All Sweet. right. Uh, what is your popular slang word of the week or the month, and what does it mean? Um, I love the word mid. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, mid is like... Um, Use it in a sentence and see if we can figure it out, or I can figure out what it means. Oh, like... Um, Oh man, uh, Kendrick Lamar's new album was Loki kind of mid. Okay, what is that? <laughs> so it's a hot take. That, it's that a hurt, hot take. That hurt my heart. I know. I, I know. We what can talk about mean? it later. It, 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 it means um, like uh, underwhelming, um, kind of like middle of the road. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. Middle. Yeah. Okay. What's your What's your popular slang word, and what does it mean? I probably just say dope. Yeah. Okay. Most. Which and if people don't know, it's just like cool all right i said dope a lot but recently i i haven't even noticed this um 
but people have been saying my my latest one is you know what I'm saying. So I'll say something I'll be like no I'm saying, but it's not like it's not like you know what I'm saying. It's like no I'm saying. Yeah. So is I'll say something be like you know no I'm saying. Way to way to connect with them. Like are they tracking with you? Yeah, it's, it's like you know that's, that's what you're yeah yeah. It's like you know, you know but it's yeah. it's just kind of like a very like like watercolor. You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah, that's, no I'm saying that Kendrick Lamar yeah. album was dope. Right? It was dope. You know what I'm saying? You, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. What's your favorite word, Josh? And what does it mean? Um, I mean I use a lot of slang in how I talk, but. Uh, I've been saying rad a lot just because it's fun. That feels like very 80s. So rad, so it's good. Okay, Uh, next one. Uh, If there was one thing you would change about your generation and culture, what would it be? And you got to keep your answer short. What's the one thing, Josh? We're going to start with you, Josh. Oh, man. Um, I'd say appreciation of people's time. Okay, good. Josiah? Sit in silence. Mm -hmm. Sit in silence, okay. I'd say um, try to understand people more, like try to know people more instead of being known. Read more books. Okay, great. Here's the last question. Which generation makes you laugh the most, millennials, Gen X, or baby boomers, and why? But keep your answer short. Which generation makes you laugh the most, millennials, Gen X, or baby boomers, and why? For me, it's baby boomers just because – the no filter is great for me. <laughs> yeah. they, they talk with no filter. Oh, yeah. No. Okay. I'd say baby boomers trying to use technology. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, millennials, because they don't quite understand the memes, but they try. <laughs> yes. <laughs> millennials for me, too. It's, you know, they're talking about stuff that happened, you know, 10 years ago, like it's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, those of you listening, uh, we do talk a lot about memes on a few other episodes, so um, hopefully you'll you'll get a chance to listen to that. Guys, thank you so much. Um, heavy topic, um, but I, I really appreciate your transparency and just sharing your heart. Um, this is a very important topic, um, really for everyone, but especially it seems important for your generation, um, something we don't want to discount. We want to enter in. We want to understand. We want to bring uh, empathy, and we want to bring a way to love you in, in a way that um, you know points you to Christ and allows you to grow. But uh, for those of you listening, thank you so much. We hope this has been encouraging. Uh, we hope that has been insightful, maybe a little entertaining. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you, gentlemen, for, for showing. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.